0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues.
1: Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Jim Cameron, founder of the Commuter Action Group. He also writes the Getting There column for Hearst Connecticut Media. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Aaron. How are you? I am well and yourself. Fine, thank you. It appears the governor's transportation funding plan is dead, at least the part calling for highway tolls. Senate Republicans have unveiled their own plan that taps one and a half billion from the Rainy Day Fund. Jim, where do you see this going from here?
0: Well, I I thought it was really disconcerting that the Senate Democrats, uh, when they met with the governor last week, were much more concerned about their own re-election than finding a funding mechanism uh, for long overdue investment in transportation in this state. Uh, They have clearly been uh, kowtowed, coerced, uh, threatened by the No Tolls CT organization, which has done a great job of promising if you support tolls, you will lose at the polls. And the Senate Democrats, in in, in whose hands the future really rested, uh, completely caved. And they uh, they told the governor there was no way that they could support tolling, nor could they come up with other funding mechanisms. I mean, uh, Senate, Senator Looney uh, actually suggested to a chorus of a few chuckles that marijuana legalization might be a good way of paying for our highways. Uh, Never mind the fact that the federal government would never allow us to pay off federal bonding uh, by taxing in what they consider to be an illegal drug. Uh, Then they talked about sports betting, um, maybe taking some of the uh, state sales tax and dedicating it toward transportation but leaving an equally large $350 million hole in the general fund. So that meeting ended with no new ideas. So we are back to square one, and it seems as if the Republicans might have the floor now, and their initiative is is going to be at least considered and uh, debated by uh, the governor and, and his team.
1: Do you see this perhaps setting the stage for some sort of compromise next session?
0: Well, I I certainly hope so. Um, As your listeners know, we are decades late in investing in transportation in this state. Uh, The highways, the bridges, the rails are all in terrible condition, and that's affecting all of us. Uh, The state's economy, uh, value of housing, uh, the amount of time that we waste in bumper-to-bumper traffic at rush hour. Uh, You know, something has to be done, and the solution is not another study, or another task force, or hiring another consultant. Uh, There were few objections, even on the Republican side, to the governor's latest proposal of prioritizing certain projects. The real objections came about how to pay for it. So we absolutely need to find some sort of compromise. Uh, We need to get this uh, construction underway, uh, retroactive to where we should be uh, decades ago.
1: You were privy to some of the deliberations as the governor's plan was being crafted. It seems a lot of work did go into this. It started over the summer, right?
0: Well, if we go back to the earliest days of the Lamont administration, actually go back to when he first announced that he was going to run for governor. Uh, that, That day, he said he would, on day one as governor, sign a tolling bill for all vehicles on the highways. Uh, then he looked at the polling and the unpopularity of tolling automobiles and uh, came back with Plan B, which was, well, let's just you know put tolls on trucks. Uh, everybody loves to toll trucks because they are the boogeyman of the highway, uh, and that idea seemed to have some traction, even though we would end up paying for those additional costs for, for trucking, uh, whether it's in our Amazon Prime or the food that gets delivered to our supermarkets. Uh, After he was elected, suddenly he changed his mind and said, well, we should toll everything. So uh, those ideas just led to confusion and uh, were really fertilizer for the whole anti-toll organizations, which uh, tapped into uh, the the public's confusion and uh, anger and resentment and cynicism that any kind of tolling would ever actually end up being spent on roads. Um, So here we go. Fast forward. excuse me, to the end of the session last year. And it became clear that he was not going to get a vote. Uh, So over the summer, to his credit, uh, the governor dispatched his staff down to Washington to do a deep dive into seeing if there were other funding mechanisms. And they found scads and scads of federal money that would be available at very low interest rates. But we could use that bonding only if we had some sort of dedicated revenue source. So we're back to the idea of tolling. There were fewer tolls mentioned this time through, uh, but he also did something he didn't do last time, which was to prioritize which projects needed to be done first. Uh, So I think that the idea has a lot of merit. I don't agree with everything in his proposals, but it was a much better, much more thought-out plan than uh, his initial approach uh, when he took office.
1: Jim, you've been a longtime supporter of tolling. Why do you feel it's necessary?
0: I think that the the solution to the supply and demand problem that we have on our highways is not to expand the supply. I don't think that widening highways is going to deal with traffic. It's just going to encourage more people to get out there on the roads and clog those highways. That's been the experience in other states, California clearly in mind. You know, when they they got to about seven lanes in each direction, they said, enough, we're not going to build any more highways. So I think that the real solution is to manage the demand, and the way to do that, I think, is to put tolling on the highways to make people pay for what is really a privilege of driving on the highways. Yes, their gasoline taxes and their taxes help pay to build the highways, but the, the work on those highways really needs to be continued uh, and that requires additional money. I think there's a value to be received for paying a toll. Uh, a, the people that don't want to pay that toll will not be on the highway in front of you. Uh, we can place tolls based on the time of day, uh, as they have done in New Jersey for years now. Uh, just as we have peak fares on our trains and off-peak fares, uh, I think that there is a value to receiving, uh, to 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 be tolling to be on the highway. And that financial stream is what we really need to help repair those roads and bridges to make sure they're in a state of good repair.
1: There is certainly a a trust factor here, though, isn't there, when so many times in Connecticut, funds collected for one particular purpose have been used to fill a hole in the general fund?
0: Absolutely. And I think that the cynicism and distrust that the voters have of what goes on in Hartford is the, uh, is the real fertilizer which helped uh, blossom the No Toll CT organization. People don't trust Hartford. They certainly don't trust the legislature, uh, who they fear would put tolling in and then use it as a taxing mechanism. But I, I also remind people that you know, tolls are not a tax. They are a user fee. Uh, if you don't want to pay tolls, don't be on the highway. Use mass transit. People that use mass transit will not end up paying tolls. Uh, if tolls are a tax, are train tickets are a tax? No. Train tickets are paid uh, by people that choose to take the train, and the value they receive for that train ticket is, uh, is commensurate to what the value would would receive if you actually had tolls on the highways. But as you were saying, I don't think anybody trusts Hartford. And uh, you're, you're quite correct in pointing out that the track record of, of funding something and then reapportioning where that money gets spent is, uh, is just a testimony to uh, how nobody trusts the, the legislature.
1: And using mass transit is all well and good if that's an option, but we certainly don't have the infrastructure that, say, a Europe or even the greater... New York City area has in, you know, eastern Connecticut. Using mass transit may not be an option. And, you know, you can call it a user fee or a tax or whatever, but they're going to have to pay tolls if, say, they have to get to work.
0: That's true. If you don't have a mass transit option, you will end up paying more than you are now paying, which is basically zero aside from your gasoline tax. But if you look at the heaviest uh, traffic areas in the state, uh, in, in your area, I-84, uh, there is a busway that runs very efficiently from New Britain and saves you time and hassle and aggravation if you're coming from the west. If you're coming from the south uh, on 91 or from the north, there's now the Hartford line, which has been in a tremendously successful commuter railroad running from New Haven to Hartford and on to Springfield. Uh, and in down in southwestern Connecticut, where I live, Clearly, I-95 parallels within, you know, a half mile the Metro-North tracks. So the people that don't, uh, don't want to be stuck in traffic and for whom mass transit is an alternative, I think with the addition of tolling on that highway, would give mass transit a try. The solution to traffic congestion is not to expand the highways. It's to incentivize and encourage people to consider their alternatives Uh, whether it's uh, a CT Fast Track, uh, Express Bus, uh, or a commuter rail.
1: You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Jim Cameron. He is founder of the Commuter Action Group. He also writes the Getting There column for Hearst Connecticut Media. You mentioned the idea of highway expansion, and a lot of studies have shown if you, say, add a lane to a highway, that's just going to create more gridlock. Is that correct?
0: Exactly. In the short term, uh, well, pl- well, first of all, let's talk about the aggravation of seeing construction on that road as they did any kind of expansion. Uh, you know, I-95 seems to be under a constant state of construction or repair. So to take one of the lanes, the breakdown lane, for example, and turn that into an additional lane of traffic would cause construction delays as that work was done when that lane was opened yes in the short term there might be uh, a reduction in congestion of traffic but that would just encourage more people to consider driving their car instead of considering mass transit uh, and in other states as i mentioned in california where they have you know constantly expanded you know lane after lane some of their freeways are now 6 and 7 lanes wide in each direction uh, the traffic is just as bad as it was before they added those additional lanes. Uh, I don't think that expansion of the highways end to end is the answer. Yes, the governor did propose finding some areas where there are bottlenecks where there are you know busy off ramps uh, that, that might be expanded with a, uh, a merged lane, uh, which successfully gets that traffic out of the flow, uh, as people are moving toward that exit. But remember, these are, these are supposed to be interstate highways. These are not local roads that we use to take for one or two exits just to save a few minutes' time. And if, we're, if there were tolls that were involved in using I-84 or I-95 as a shortcut from one side of town to the other, uh, I think people might say, is it worth 50 cents to me to save five minutes, or do I want to try taking one of the local roads? Uh, So I don't think expanding the highways is the answer.
1: One of the ideas that's been floated, no pun intended, is the notion of high-speed ferry service along Long Island Sound to New York City. Is that really a viable option? Well, as I said, I don't agree
0: with everything in the governor's plan, and that was one idea that really took me by surprise. Uh, you know, people for years have looked at uh, our waterways and said, why aren't we using these to offload traffic from our highways? Uh, and I think that the, the Long Island Sound in particular uh, has strong potential uh, for what's called feeder barge, taking containers off of uh, transoceanic ships that are docked in New York City. And instead of hooking a tractor up to the front of them and driving them up on 95, putting that container on a barge, and then having a tugboat take that barge up to New Haven, offloading it there, and thereby bypassing the congestion those trucks would cause on our highways. But for passenger ferries, uh, it's just a pipe dream to think that there are fast ferries that will get us from Bridgeport or New Haven or Stamford to New York City. This idea has been looked at for many, many years and has been rejected for any number of reasons. One, fast ferries are not that fast. Uh, they probably go 30 miles an hour at best. They're not all-weather uh, vehicles. I mean, it might, you know, a nice spring day, I might enjoy a ride on a ferry going to New York City, but not in the middle of a blizzard, while the train could still be running. Um, You would have to locate those ferry terminals along the coast, which is the most expensive real estate that we have. That's where all the McMansions are, where people want to live. Uh, You wouldn't uh, be obviously able to have the frequency of service if you only had two or three ferries making uh, a couple of round trips each rush hour. There would be an hour, an hour and a half between ferries, whereas uh, Metro North uh, runs trains every 20 minutes in uh, rush hour period. So, uh, and the final idea is that, uh, you know, people that are in the private ferry boat business, quite successfully in the New York City area, for example, crossing the Hudson, have undoubtedly looked at the Long Island coastline of Connecticut and uh, said, would it make sense economically to run a ferry? Uh, they crunched the numbers and they decided no, not without huge subsidies. And I, I think that subsidies. Uh, even using federal money uh, to build terminals uh, would be a foolish investment when we already have infrastructure of uh, uh, Metro-North that we should be investing in instead.
1: You mentioned the Hartford line, the service is approaching almost a year and a half in existence. What are the reviews so far?
0: Well, I think that the Hartford line has been a tremendous success. I think within the first several months, ridership exceeded uh, what the uh, DOT's uh, estimations were of maybe the first year of operation. Uh, it has a frequency of service. Uh, yes, the cars are a little older than we might like, uh, but one of the things in the governor's plan is to replace those cars with newer cars. There is parking available at most of the stations, and uh, everybody that is you know taking the Hartford line is one less car on I-91 in uh, traffic conditions that uh, you know, are, are soon going to rival those of southwestern Connecticut with I-95. So the Hartford line, I think, has been a tremendous success, not only for the people that ride that line on a daily basis, but also for the communities where those stations have uh, been placed. Uh, transit-oriented development has taken place in communities like Milford, Um, And in Meriden, where there has been tremendous economic growth of apartments, um, office buildings, etc., located within walking distance of the train station. So uh, I I think if we realize that, that effective transportation is more than just getting from point A to point B, that there is an economic stimulus that comes from that investment, Uh, we'll see the wisdom in investing in mass transit, not adding a fifth lane to the highways.
1: Give us an update on how things are going on Metro North. I know the line is often plagued by weather-related issues and, and delays. Have things improved at all?
0: Well, if you look back several years ago when there was a collision on Metro North in the Fairfield area, followed a few months later by a serious derailment at spoyton Duyvil on the Hudson branch. Uh, that's when the Federal Railroad Administration uh, realized there was something seriously wrong with safety at Metro North. And they did a study and they concluded that the railroad's priorities were way off, that they the railroad was much more interested in maintaining on-time performance than making sure that riders were kept safe. Uh, so as a result of their edicts, The trains have been running much slower in the past five years than they did previously. Uh, The speeds will only increase when the feds realize that the railroad is safe. And to their credit, Metro North's credit, I think they have really prioritized safety over on-time performance. If they see a problem with a track switch or a, a, a catenary problem, the overhead power lines, even in the middle of rush hour, they will screw the pooch on that rush hour and err on the side of safety and take a track out of service, even if it means delaying commuters. So when commuters tweet me or email me that their train was five minutes late uh, getting home, I always retort that at least you got home safely. Your, uh, Your family was there to greet you at the door. Uh, and I don't think you'd really want to be on time, but unsafe. We, we learned that lesson all too well. Ridership remains strong. Uh, the new M8 cars that we've had for five or six years now are performing extremely well. Uh, they do err on the side of caution if there is a weather condition that they're afraid might cause a breakdown in service. Uh, they don't want to you know have everybody get into the city in the morning and then find out that Service was canceled coming home at night, so they will, uh, as a precaution, uh, reduce service in advance of a blizzard. Increasingly, we're also seeing people not commuting five days a week. People are now more likely to commute four days a week, so they're already starting to spend that fifth workday working from home instead of being on, uh, on a train.
1: Will we see at some point cash disappear on Metro North? I know there's been one proposal to eliminate cash, paying in cash, on the Long Island Railroad. Do you see that coming this way as well?
0: Well, over the past few years, we've seen the elimination of most uh, human ticket office uh, operations at stations uh, replaced by ticket vending machines, which will accept cash or credit cards. Uh, and if you want to buy a ticket on the train and you use cash, uh, you will have to pay a penalty uh, to dissuade you from doing that. That's a mistake you don't make more than once. So you either get your ticket before you get on the train or you use one of the new apps. I mean, I have an app on my phone that I can buy a ticket with uh, using a stored credit card number uh, as I'm boarding the train if I want to. So I think that the uh, the railroad, uh, which used to have a a cash room at Grand Central, which would be handling you know millions of dollars a week in cash, collected by conductors to to sell tickets, uh, no longer has to do that. And I think technology has leapfrogged cash, uh, you know, in buying railroad tickets as it has in so many other transactions. I mean, just think of how much cash you might spend on a daily basis it's probably much less than years before, whether you're buying uh, a burger at uh, at McDonald's or you're paying for gas at the gas station. Um, Debit cards, credit cards, that seems to be the logical way of collecting uh, fares as well, too.
1: And finally, there's the Upass program now, which I understand helps college students get where they're going.
0: I think that the U-Pass program is one of the best-kept secrets of uh, mass transit in this state. If you're a college student at UConn, um, uh, the community colleges, uh, you can uh, get for $25 a year, collected as part of your tuition payments, uh, a, a pass that gives you unlimited rides on all the buses and trains in the state. Uh, You can't go to New York City using it, but you can go from stores to Hartford. You can go from Hartford to New Haven. Uh, And I've talked to some college students who use this this U-Pass program, and it has made a tremendous difference in their education, in their ability to get to the part-time jobs that they need, Uh, and it's also uh, introducing the next generation of young people to the concept of using mass transit. It's a tremendously successful program, and I think it's a huge investment in the state's transportation future.
1: He is Jim Cameron, founder of the Commuter Action Group and writer of Getting There, the column in Hearst, Connecticut, Media Papers. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production
0: of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio.